got some things up here on the, on the, the screen. These are prophecies about Babylon that have been unfulfilled. Uh, now, ancient Babylon fell in 539 B.C. And, but there, there are uh, prophecies in Isaiah 13 and 14 and Jeremiah 50 and 51 that have never been fulfilled in the way that they're described. Uh, the day of the Lord, that hasn't come yet. Cosmic signs, the sun and the moon being darkened. Uh, global judgment. And it says that the destruction would be as Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, uh, when, when Babylon fell in 539 B.C., that was nothing like Sodom and Gomorrah. As a matter of fact, it was almost like a peaceful transfer of power. Uh, Belshazzar was the only one that's recorded who died uh, during that takeover. Total devastation, uh, universal peace and rest. Uh, as far as I can tell, that hasn't happened yet. Amen? Um, Israel's regeneration. Then in Jeremiah 50, he talks about the sudden destruction of Babylon. Again, that didn't happen in 539 B.C. Uh, complete destruction. None of the building materials would be reused. Uh, that didn't happen. And then uh, believers fleeing. They didn't. As a matter of fact, uh, even after uh, Cyrus gave the decree to go back home, they didn't want to. Okay, so the believers didn't flee. And Daniel was discouraged about that. Uh, and finally, Israel's regeneration. And we have not yet seen that. But it's coming, folks. It is coming. So let's look in chapter 18, verse 1. And it says, And after these things, in the Greek, that's metatauta. So I think there's a proper separation here uh, chap between chapter 17 and 18. This is a new vision, if you will. Uh, after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven. Now, another is the Greek word alos. It means another of the same kind. Uh, so that means it's not Jesus. There's some commentators that say, oh, this is Jesus, but it's not. It's another angel, just like the ones we've, uh, we've grown, grown accustomed to seeing. He came down from heaven having great power. You know, angels have a lot of power. And the earth was lightened with his glory. Now, this must have been particularly impressive because in the bold judgments, if you remember, uh, darkness had come on the throne of the beast. So they're sitting in darkness, and then all of a sudden this brilliant angel shows up. And he cries mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. It's, it's twice there. Now, that, that's a quote from the prophet Isaiah also. But I think it also signifies the fact that there's two falls of Babylon. There's religious Babylon that fell in chapter 17. And then there's commercial or political Babylon that's falling in chapter uh, 18. And it says, become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Sounds like a great place to go on vacation, doesn't it? And a room with a view. Uh, uh, birds in the Bible are often an idiom for uh, evil spirits, too. So keep that in mind. Now look at verse 3. Notice it says all nations. That means everybody, right? All nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. Um... This shows that the politicians of the day are in it to get rich. I know that seems hard to believe, doesn't it? The kings of the earth are in bed with Babylon. You see? Oh, boy. And you wonder why our politicians don't give a rip about our border, but we're securing Ukraine's border. You wonder about that, don't you? But if you, if you follow the money, you'll understand why these things are happening. It's because the kings of the earth are in bed with Babylon. And they don't care. 
They don't care what's going on because all they care about is lying in their pocketbook. That's right. Y'all like this kind of preaching? I don't care if you do or not. It's, it's yeah. biblical. Um, they're drunk. Go with me. I'm not going to do this, but, but I want you to see this. Go with me to Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17. This will be a quick detour. Famous last words, right? Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17. <clears throat> and this will begin our interactive portion of the service where we get our, our uh, great radio voices of uh, James and Adam and Mark. Today's Mark's the victim. I mean, willing participant. <laughs> Deuteronomy 17. Um, Mark, would you read 14 through 20? Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 through 20. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me, thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose, one from among thy brethren shalt thy set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt, to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord has said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And it shall be, when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book, out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of his law and these statutes to do them. That his heart not be lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So, God predicted that the children of Israel would demand a king long before they ever did. Because God knows what's going to happen before it happens. Amen? And he said, when you want a king, uh, I don't. that's not my, my goal for you. But if you have a king, this is the kind of king I want you to have. One who loves God. And he was not to multiply wives or silver and gold. Right? Alright, let's go back to Revelation. Our leaders are supposed to be servants of the people. That's right. Supposed to be is the key word, right? Hey, I'm rocking. I'm a mountain babies. Love it. Amen. All right, we're back to Revelation 18. That might be the only amen I get today. So I'll take it. <laughs> and all the kings have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth uh, are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. That word for delicacy is also translated as luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. I think there's an allusion here to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. 
So uh, if you want to look with me on the board here uh, in Genesis, we're going to see that Lot, um, Lot is going to be given the decree to leave Sodom. Mark, would you read that Genesis 19? Genesis 19, 12. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city? Bring them out of this place. Yeah, go ahead and read all those verses. Genesis 19, 13. For we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. Genesis 19, 15. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. Alright. Lot, Sodom is about to burn up, and Lot doesn't want to leave. What happened to Lot's wife? There's a lesson for us, guys. Don't long for the things of the world, because the world is on fire. The world is passing away. And so God's word to us today has come out of it. 2 Corinthians 6, 17. It's up on the board there. I'm not trying to make it easy for you. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. That's God's call to us, is to come out from among them, to be different. Don't be just like the world. The world's got stinking thinking, you know. They're thinking the way, uh, the way of the flesh and the devil. All right, Romans 12, verse 2. Romans 12, verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I think the Phillips translation says, don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. And that's, we're bombarded with voices all the time in the media uh, and, and in the world and in the news. And they're telling us a certain narrative. You know, we're supposed to believe a certain way that wrong is right and right is wrong and good is evil and evil is good. We have to not be conformed to the world. But God doesn't want us to be conformed and squeezed. God wants us to be transformed, renewed from the inside out. All right, 1 John 2, 15. 1 John 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow, that's pretty powerful. Where is your affection? What, what do you love? If you go on to read in that context, it says that the world is passing away. It's a sinking ship. Think of it this way. Uh, it would be like arranging the deck furniture on the Titanic while it's rearranging the furniture while it's going down. And that's what a lot of us are doing, folks. This is a sinking ship. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved in, in government politics. I'm not saying that at all. We shouldn't be. But understand, the world ain't going to fix the world's problems. The politicians aren't going to fix They're not going to fix our problems. Only Jesus Christ is going to fix our problems. That's when true justice is going to come. Is when Jesus Christ uh, comes back. All right. Let's go back to Revelation uh, 18 now. Verse 5 says, Her sins have reached unto heaven. My. 
And God has remembered her iniquities. Well, remember back at the Tower of Babel? We're talking about Babel. Babylon. Later Shinar. Remember what they wanted to do under Nimrod? They wanted to build a tower to reach heaven. Here's the irony. Instead of reaching heaven with their little religious system, their sins reached heaven. They wanted to make a name for themselves. And God says, you've made a name for yourself. I remember you. Jeremiah 31, 33, however, and I'm going to let Mark read this, says that when it comes to believers in Jesus Christ, when we come to Him in faith, God doesn't remember our past anymore. He doesn't remember our sins. Jeremiah 31, verse 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Would you read that next verse too? Jeremiah 31 verse 34. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Praise God. Have you been forgiven? If you've asked God to forgive you, you have been forgiven. And he says he'll remember it no more. When the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. Now we're coming to the principle of lex talionis, which basically means the law of retribution. Back to Revelation 18, verse 6, it says, Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her double according to her works, and the cup which she had filled, filled to her double. Now she lived a double, uh, a double uh, lifestyle of luxury and sensuality. And God says that's what the punishment's going to be for her. Mark, would you read that? Uh, th these are just from, from the law in Exodus showing the principle of Lex Telionis. Exodus 22, verse 4. If the theft is certainly found alive in his hand, whether it is an ox or donkey or sheep, he shall restore double. Exodus 22, 7. If a man delivers to his neighbor money or articles to keep, and it is stolen out of the man's house. If the thief is found, he shall pay double. Exodus 22, verse 9. For any kind of trespass, whether it concerns an ox, a donkey, a sheep, or clothing, or for any kind of lost thing which another claims to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges, and whomever the judges condemn shall pay double to his neighbor. Okay. So this is consistent with God's nature. All right, Revelation 18, verse uh, 7 says, How much she has uh, glorified herself and lived deliciously or sensuously. So much torment and sorrow give her. For she says in her heart, this is interesting, she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. See, this is the myth of, invi of invincibility. Let me tell you what, none of us are invincible, folks. God is in control. And this comes from Isaiah. Mark, would you read Isaiah 47, uh, 7 and 8? Isaiah 47 and Isaiah 40, 
Isaiah 47, 7 and 8. And thou saidst, I shall be a lady forever, so that thou didst not lay these things to thy heart, neither didst remember the latter end of it. Therefore, hear now this, that thou art given to pleasures, that thou dwellest carelessly, that sayest in thine heart, I am, and none else beside me. I shall not sit as a widow, neither shall I know the loss of children. So you see, John's interpreting all these from Old Testament prophecy. So all those Old Testament prophecies about Babylon, and that's about Babylon, by the way, they're, being, they're going to be fulfilled. And I believe this is a rebuilt Babylon uh, on the banks of the Euphrates in, uh, in the Middle East. All right, let's go back to Revelation 18. We probably never left there, right? Since I had it on the board. Revelation 18. It says, Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, verse 8, death, mourning, and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. This is the fate of Babylon. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. God's got all power in heaven and earth. Now verse 9 says, The kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her. This is how I know that Revelation 17 and 18 are different. Because in chapter 17, the ten horns, which are the kings of the earth, they destroy the harlot. Okay? Here, these kings are weeping over her destruction. So it's a different facet, Babylon. They're, they're weeping not over the religious system, but over the commercial system. Because they're in it for the money, right? That's why they're, that's why they're weeping. They will bewail her and lament for her. When they shall see the smoke of her burning. Standing afar off for the fear of her torment. Saying alas. Alas. The great city Babylon. Notice it's a city. God's trying to. He's giving you a point here. Look, I'm going to go ahead and put something up on the board. I want you to see there's three groups. Oh wow. That red font's terrible in there isn't it? Note itself. Don't use red font. <laughs> Uh, the red, in the red font, there's three groups there. Uh, the kings of the earth, the merchants of the earth, and the shipmasters, passengers, and sailors. Okay, so that's what's in red. It's the three different groups. And they all have a similar response. They're, uh, they're standing far off. They're weeping and wailing. And they're all saying, whoa, whoa, the great city. So it's a literal city. They're saying it three times there. And, and they all say in one hour. Judgment has come. So it's a catastrophic judgment. It comes, uh, it's not just something that happens over time. It's a, a swift um, and, and powerful. Mark, while we're in Revelation 18, would you just go ahead and read the response of these guys? Um, verses 10. Ten through, well, just ten and eleven to start with. Revelation eighteen verses ten and eleven, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, "Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city! For in one hour is thy judgment come, and the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more." Now, some of your translations will say, "Whoa, whoa." Some of you will say, alas, alas. The Greek word here is ooi. Everybody say that, ooi. 
Now, good job. Y'all know your Greek. This is an example, I think, of, uh, I'm probably going to mess this up. Onomatopoeia. Remember, remember that term from English class? I'm a little long in the tooth, but onomatopoeia, that's when the word uh, is formed. Is, help me out, Wayne. Yeah, it sounds like the meaning, right? So this guy, this is a guttural cry. Ooh-ay, ooh-ay. This is, this is, whoa, whoa, alas. They're devastated because of this, uh, this destruction of Babylon. And that's all you guys are going to get out of this message today, right? What did you learn in church today? Ooh-ay, ooh-ay. And onomatopoeia. Thank you, William. Um, but they're crying out. They're weeping and wailing because their riches have been destroyed. All right. Um, that was the kings, the politicians, if you will. Get to um, read verses 11 through 13 now, Mark. Still in Revelation 18. 11 through 13. 11 through 13. Yeah. Right, verses 11 through 13 from Revelation 18. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all fine wood and all manner vessels of ivory and all manner vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men. Oh my. So these are the merchants of the earth. Now there's 28 commodities that are mentioned here. 28 commodities that are mentioned. Now why does God go into all this detail? This is 28 separate commodities. This is just my thought here. I think God wants us to understand this literally and not symbolically. Okay, Because if you go the symbolic route, it makes no sense, right? The cinnamon represents this. The, the, the ivory represents No. These are real commodities. Now, Donald Gray Barnhouse brought out something I hadn't thought of. Out of all of these commodities here, 90% of them are luxury items. They're not necessities. Okay. So what that tells me is that the beast... Antichrist, that Satan, even though he preaches socialism and communism to the masses, he's a capitalist at heart. You know that? <laughs> Satan is a capitalist. You know? The Bible teaches capitalism, by the way. It doesn't teach socialism and communism. And uh, just one more thing about the border. Those people that are fleeing in droves to get across the border, you know where they're running from? Socialist countries. Most of them are leaving Venezuela, which is a, a socialist hellhole, and they're wanting to come over here and get benefits and stuff. So anyway, uh, no, no country has an open border policy like that. No other country does the mess that we're doing. Nobody. It, it makes no sense. Okay. So there's all these commodities, and they're luxury items. And, and, and remember, this is a tribulation period, too. I mean, there's a lot of terrible stuff going on in the world. But for the Antichrist, he's managed to build quite an empire, hasn't he? Yes. Wow. And it's business as usual. Right? It's business as usual, which is amazing to me. That just shows you the hardness of man's heart. God's been showing him all these signs. Seals, trumpets, bold judgments. 
saying the end is near, the end is near. The angel has flown through the heavens saying Babylon is fallen. And they're like, no, nah, I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about that. Okay. Back in Revelation 18. Right, as long as the bank's open, right? One last thing here. Notice the slaves and souls of men. You know, slavery is alive and well in a lot of these countries. You know? And a lot of our athletes, they go around parading and talk about how horrible America is. And a lot of these countries that they're protesting us, those are countries that actually haven't done anything about slavery. Thank God we have moved past that. Let's don't go back to that garbage by uh, talking about that mess all the time. Thank God we've made some progress in it. It's not perfect. Not perfect, but let's don't go back, okay? But the Antichrist empire is an empire of slavery. And it's an empire, and I believe this is human trafficking and all kinds of mess like that. And that's a real problem here, folks. Human trafficking is a real thing. All right. Revelation 18, in verse 14, it says, The fruits that your soul lusted after are departed from you. In other words, all of this stuff that you've been living for is gone. And God's given them a preview of coming attractions, because if you die without Jesus Christ, every longing in your heart will be unfulfilled for all eternity. Imagine that. You won't be able to satisfy any longing in hell apart from Jesus Christ. And they've departed from you. You shall find them no more at all. And the merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off. Why are they standing afar off? Well, because they're scared to death. That shows you also that it's not just a world system, it's a city. Because if it was the whole world, you wouldn't be able to stand away, away from it, right? Amen? Yeah. I can't stand afar off from it if it's right here in my backyard. Okay. And notice what they're doing. They're weeping and wailing. Verse 16. And they're saying what? Ooh-ay! Ooh-ay! The great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple, and scarlet, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. In one hour, so great riches has come to nothing. You know, you can have all the money in the world and it'd be gone overnight. You can have all the money in the world and the doctor comes in and tells you we've done all we can do and it doesn't matter how much money you got in the bank. It won't do you any good. Because you've got a problem only God can solve. And thank God He can solve that problem. Because He's a healer. Alright. Then we get to the shipmasters. In verse 17. Mark, would you read uh, 17, through, 17 through 19? Revelation 18, verses 17 through 19. For in one hour so great riches has come to naught, and every shipmaster, and all the company and ships, and sailors, and as many as trade by sea, stood afar off, and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city, wherein were made rich all that at ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. For in one hour is she made desolate. Alright, so this last group, they're weeping and wailing, but they do something a little extra that the other two didn't do. Did you notice that? A little detail. In, the, in all of their mourning and crying and the last, they did something different. They threw dust on their heads, didn't they? Well, I, I was just studying in my study this week, and I thought, Lord, that's just kind of unusual, you know? 
Whenever you see something in the Bible that just seems a little different, just kind of dig around there because there's probably some, some gold that you can mine. And when I found that there's two instances in the Bible where people cast dust on their heads. Um, I'll give you some context on the one. One is from Joshua. Now, when God uh, gave Jericho to, uh, to the children of Israel, it was, going to be, it was supposed to be a first fruit city. You know, they were supposed to dedicate everything to the Lord. But there was this guy named Achan, and he decided he was He coveted, uh, by the way, it was a Babylonian garment that he coveted. So that's just a little tidbit there, too. But there's Babylon again. Achan coveted this Babylonian garment, and, uh, and, and he hid it, unbeknownst to Joshua. So Joshua sends the, uh, the soldiers out to go fight at Ai. And it was, they were an inferior group of people. But they got their rear ends kicked. And Joshua is like scratching his head. Because he's like, God, I don't understand this. We just took Jericho. Remember how they defeated Jericho? Did Joshua go in there with a, a, an AK-47? What do they do? Interesting, God's got different battle strategies than we do, right? What caused the walls to fall down flat? And it just said they fell flat. They were shouting and praising God, you know? I believe you and I can get some victory if we can learn how to praise God in the midst of our difficulties and our storms. We can praise our way through it and praise our way out of it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So anyway, so Joshua has just seen God do a mighty miracle in an unconventional way. And now they go up against an inferior opponent and they get their rear ends beat six ways to Sunday. And it says, well, go ahead and read that, Mark, from Joshua 7, verses, uh, verses 6 there. Joshua 7, verse 6. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. This was the first time anybody did dust on the head in the Bible. Joshua, when they lost the battle uh, at Ai. Now the next one is from the book of Job. Now, Job suffers a catastrophic trial of, of his faith. He loses his health, his wealth, his family. He loses it all in a, you know, in a relatively short period of time. Now his friends uh, get a lot of bad publicity... And some, most of it's rightly deserved. Because they're sitting around telling Job what he did wrong. Now, you didn't have enough faith. You should have done this. You should have done that. If you're really a righteous person, this wouldn't happen. Blah, blah, blah. So anyway, but they did something really profound first. Now, this is from the oldest book of the Bible. So this is truly the first, uh, if you want to go chronologically, this is the first time anybody puts dust on their heads. Mark, would you read Job uh, 2, uh, 12 and 13? Job 2, verses 12 and 13. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off, and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept. And they rent every one his mantle, and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights. And none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. By the way... Here's a, little, here's a little extra tidbit for you. That's why I included that last verse. When you're grief counseling, when you're ministering to somebody that's grieving, sometimes the worst thing you can do is rush in there and tell them this, that, and the other. 
just sit down with them and cry with them and hold their hand. That's what Job's friends did. This was about the only righteous thing they did. But they sat down and for seven whole days they didn't offer any advice. Sometimes people just need to have their hand held. They need somebody to just say, I love you. I am sorry this happened to you. I don't know why, because truthfully, we don't know, do we? Because we're not God. I hate that when people just rush in and say, oh, well, this happened because of this and this. You don't know. You don't know. God knows. Just go there, be quiet, hold their hand, and just love them. And they'll never forget that. You know, people have forgotten probably most of every sermon I've ever preached. But they remember when I held their hand. They remember when I was with them uh, and, and loved on them and, and made them feel like they were uh, special or important and cared for them. People remember that stuff. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Okay? And I, that's an old cliche, but it, the shoe fits. But anyway, these friends of Job's, before they even saw Job, they could hear him, no doubt. What was he saying? Who I? I don't know what he was saying. But he was in pain. And there was such a profound sense of grief that Job's friends, in ex, an expression, and see, this is another reason, and this is not something I would go to war with. This is another reason I believe that this Babylon is on the Euphrates, because this is a Middle Eastern idiom. It's not New York City. But New York City is not Babylon. The people in New York City are not going to cast dust on their heads. That's not what we do over here, right? We, we do all kinds of other stuff. But that's a Middle Eastern kind of thing, okay? It's the casting of dust. So I think this is where Babylon is centered is in that part of the world. And so the customs and manners are different. Okay, we're, we're coming to a close here. Revelation 18. And uh, they cast dust on their heads. So they've been weeping and wailing. These guys are weeping and wailing. Notice they've never, not, they've never once wept over their sin. They've never once said, God, I'm sorry I've sinned against you. Never once had any concern for their soul, for their eternal soul. But they are concerned about one thing. And what is that? Their wallet. But the weeping turns to rejoicing in verse 20. God says, rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets. Some translations will put saints there because the word hagios for holy. And that's okay too. For God has avenged you on her. Now, right now, is not the time for us to rejoice at the punishment of the wicked. It's not time yet. It will be time then because we, have, we will have experienced or seen the seventh bowl poured out. And, the, and now it's time evil has finally been judged. But right now, you and I are not supposed to wish evil on people. Sinners weep. Saints rejoice. But right now... Paul gives us some advice. Romans 12. Mark, would you read that? Verse 19 is on the board. Romans 12, verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. It's so tempting to want to get evil when people is. It's so tempting to just take things in your own hands. But if you'll just sit back and let God do his work, he'll do it in his way and in his time. And he'll do it righteously. Most of the time when we respond in anger, we're not in the right spirit. Most of the time. And we'll end up doing more harm than good. Trust me, I know. I, I got the t-shirt. I know. We can't, we can't be that way, folks. Now, several years ago, uh, Marty's son Brad and I were uh, officiating uh, a, a funeral together. 
And Brad spoke a word from Ecclesiastes that just really, it, it just resonated with me. And Ecclesiastes 7, verse 4. Mark, would you read that? Ecclesiastes 7, verse 4. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. Now that doesn't mean we go around with a long face and we're, we're, you know, we're miserable and depressed and nobody wants to be around us. That's not what it's talking about. But it says that there's a time when God's people are going to be happy. And they're going to rejoice when evil is vanquished. But right now the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. Most of us don't like to go to funerals, right? We don't. There's something that feels so unnatural about that because God created us to live, you know. Even believers, even, even that. But, but in that time, at least people start thinking about their mortality. That's about the only time some people ever think about their mortality is at a funeral. But God says you ought to be thinking about your mortality all the time. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. Because I'm telling you, you're just one heartbeat away from eternity, folks. None of us are invincible. Okay. And Jesus says this in the, in the, the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 4. You want to read that, Mark? Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Okay. And that's what's happening here in Revelation. The tides have turned. The day of vengeance has, has come. God's retribution. And he has justified uh, his people. So let's finish up Revelation uh, 18. It says in verse 21, a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone. That's a huge, uh, a huge grinding uh, implement. And cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city, again, notice again, it's, a, it's not a system, it's a city. Should that great city be thrown down and should be found no more at all. This comes exactly out of Jeremiah uh, 51. Uh, I'm not going to make Mark read all that. But, uh, but anyway, read that for yourself. Jeremiah 51, 61 through 64. Uh, <coughs> Jeremiah had uh, a guy do something similar as an object lesson. We're done. We're done. I got a little chart up here showing the parallels between Jeremiah and Revelation. If you want to copy this, I'll be glad to email it to you or, or, or whatever. But all of these parallels are astonishing. They're just astonishing between uh, ancient Babylon's destruction uh, prophecies and then Revelation. Alright, so back to Revelation 18. Mark, you'll read verses 22 through 24. Revelation 18, verses 22 through 24. And the voice of harpers and musicians and of pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. And no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. By thy sorceries were all nations deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. So every sign of life completely gone from Babylon because it is a catastrophic judgment. There is no one that's not included in that. And that's why God tells his people, get out of there. 
Um, how's God going to do it? Maybe it's that seventh, uh, the seventh bowl. Remember, there's an earthquake. But Dr. Henry Morris, he's got a theory that that maybe the earthquake detonates a nuclear bomb, and that destroys. I don't know. Or maybe God just rains down fire like Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, He could do that. Go with me to Luke, Luke twelve. We've only got a couple more scriptures, I promise. But I think this is very relevant to where we are with this message. Luke chapter 12. Whenever you get there, Mark, if you read verses 13 through 21. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Yes, sir. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who may be a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid upon, or laid up for me. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool! This night, thou soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall things, those things be, which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. I don't think I need to. I don't think I need to offer any commentary on that. That's a powerful reminder. Matthew sixteen twenty four. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, that's an invitation for every person. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? These folks in Revelation 18, the kings, the merchants, the shipmasters, They've exchanged the riches of Babylon for eternal wealth. And here's the tragedy. In one hour, literally in a moment of time, everything that they had built their lives on was gone. Okay? Everything, that they, everything that they lived for was gone. I'll ask you this morning, what are you living for? What are you living for? If you're living for the world... When you die, and you will die if Jesus tarries. I'm, I'm believing that we're going to go in the rapture, but no, 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 none of us knows the day or the hour. If Jesus tarries, every one of us in this room are going to die. And when you leave this world, you're not going to take anything with you of material. Right? You're not going to bring anything with you. The only thing you will take with you is that which has eternal value, that which you've done for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now some of us have, have taken that step to come out of darkness and into the light. But some of us are like Lot. We're saved, but we're so wrapped up in the things of the world 
that we just can't seem to leave it behind and make any progress. I believe that Lot is a picture of the carnal Christian at the judgment seat of Christ. He's saved, yet by fire. He lost everything except his life. And even that was a shambles, really. Um, because, you know, Sodom lived on in his family. But what are you living for? I can promise you this. If you're living for the world, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed. But if you're living for Jesus Christ, I don't care what you go through in this life, the best is yet to come. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, every person in this room, I might be guaranteeing you, your best days are ahead of you. There's joy unspeakable and full of glory. Some of you have been going through some really difficult trials in here. I know because I'm your pastor. Some of you have been dealing with things that you haven't even told anybody else about, maybe. Some of, some of you may not have even told me, but I just know down in my nowhere. You know what I mean? I know. And I want you to understand this, that your sickness, your trials, your tragedies, your, uh, your obstacles, they're not wasted, folks. They're not wasted. God is doing something in your life. He's not left you. He's not forsaken you. And one day, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And the Bible says, blessed is the man who that endures trials. Anybody been through any trials in here? Yeah. All of us in here have, haven't we? Your trials are not wasted. Your tears are in a bottle. God's got them. But let's don't live for the world. Lot left Sodom. Thank God he got out of Sodom. But they had to drag him, kicking and screaming. He made it out, but his wife didn't make it out. But he had nothing to show for it. Christian, when I stand before the Lord, I want to have at least something that I can lay down at His feet. Just something. Just something that I can just lay down at His feet. Would you stand? God's Word to us is the same Word that He gave to His people in Revelation 18. And that is, come out of her, my people. Come out. God stands, Christ stands right now with His arms open wide. And he says, if you will repent of your sins, if you'll believe the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for your sins on the cross, he was buried and he rose again the third day, if you will put your trust in him, repent of your unbelief, he will save your soul. Believer, if you're, if you're at home in Sodom, if you're at home in Babylon, understand that that's a sinking ship. It's the Titanic. It's going down. Come out while there's still time. Confess that sin to God. Get in right fellowship with Him. Would you come?